0: Let's turn with me now to our New Testament reading, which is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, And your father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you speak the truth to us. We who live in a world of darkness, we who live in a world of deception, we know the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and our own hearts would seek to to deceive us and to bring us further into darkness. We are thankful for this ray of light. We are thankful for Christ speaking the truth to us in love. And how we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would work upon us, that these words would leave us not unchanged, but rather, Lord, with our minds and our hearts transformed according to the truth that you gave us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We return to this middle section of Luke chapter 12, uh, and specifically to verses 33 and 34. But the context is a statement made a couple of verses earlier, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. That, seeking the kingdom, that must be our priority. But of course the question comes to us as if anyone ever comes and says that you're Priority must be this. This is your priority. The natural question is what about the other things? What's going to happen to me? If I give myself over to seeking the kingdom of God, if I give myself to these things, what's going to happen to me? That was even in the minds of of the disciples. As Peter says, we've left all. What shall we get? How much more so than worldly men? How much more so those who are not yet disciples of Christ? How much are you thinking? What's going to happen to me? If I give myself over to God and to his priorities, will not my own interest suffer? And the answer is certainly not. Jesus makes this wonderful statement in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, not a scrap, not a wage, not a stipend to give you the entire kingdom. That's his good pleasure. He loves to do it. He's going to do it. Don't fear. The greatest thing and the best thing that could ever be had will simply be given to Christ's sheep as a gift. That is the heart of the God that we serve. And so we come to the verse that we focus on this morning. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now those are difficult words. Christ speaks to us many difficult words, by the way, which is why some people don't like to read the Bible. It's always interesting to me to meet uh, an atheist, and he is absolutely convinced that Christianity is wrong, and you ask him if he's even bothered to read the Bible, and the answer is, no, they haven't. But Christ gives us some difficult things sometimes. And I guess we have to we have a choice of how we're going to deal with it. We can decide on the one hand that Christ is our enemy, and he's speaking these hard things because he he doesn't like us. We hate him and he hates us, and he's trying to make life difficult for us. And he's saying things because he wants us to be miserable. We can make that decision or we can decide to say that Christ is the good shepherd. In fact, he gave his life for the sheep. Is not at all that he's unwilling that we have good things. He's willing actually to lay down his life in order that we might live, in order that we might have life to the fullest. He's not going to withhold a single good thing from us. And to believe other than that is to believe the lie of Satan that Eve believed in the garden. He loves us. He desires our good things. He desires that we have our, our fullest joy far more so than we could ever desire in ourselves. And I hope it is that mentality, that attitude that we take this morning, that is the mindset that we can adopt. He's not saying these things that we might be miserable. He's saying them precisely, that we might have the fullest joy, the fullest happiness. He wants us to have the good and the best things. Now, I don't pretend that they're easy. But Christ loves us too much not to speak the truth to us. And I think that we ought to hear him out, whether we know him, whether we're his disciples or not. Let's listen to one who loves his people and desires that we have the best things. So the title of this sermon is "Lay up treasures in heaven." And there are three points. The first is the principle involved, which is the treasure-heart connection. The treasure-heart connection, and then there are two aspects of the treasure that I think that the Lord has in mind here. The main treasure is Christ himself. But then also there is the treasure of rewards. And that's our second and third point. The main treasure of Christ, and third, the treasure of rewards. So first, the treasure-heart connection, the principle involved. Starting in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we have that very simply there. We have the very the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where... Your treasure is there your heart will be also. Those two things, they go together. Your treasure and your heart. Just a basic fact of life. And, and when you have a, a treasure, when you decide that your happiness, it lies somewhere, your heart just goes right along with it. It's there. We all want to be happy. It's a basic idea. You know, the pursuit of, we recently had uh, the American Independence Day. And the pursuit of happiness is enshrined in the U.S. Declaration of Independence as a self-evident, unalienable right, the the right to pursue happiness. Well, unfortunately, it's not a fully Christian document. It tells us the, the fact that people are going to seek happiness, but it gives us no indication whatsoever where that happiness might be found, where the pathway to true happiness might be. Who knows where it might be? Well, Jesus gives us the rest of the story. He's telling us, he, he knows that you're going to seek happiness. And when you've made your decision as to where the treasure is, where this thing or things might be that will give you fulfillment, will give you joy, will give you happiness, once you've decided that your heart will lead you there, no one has to prompt you, no one has to force you, you will most certainly seek the happiness to, that is to be found in that treasure and you will, the rest of you will just follow along. That's crucially important. It's crucially important because once you've decided that your treasure lies here or lies there, then your heart is going to be held captive to that. And all of your decisions will reflect that one basic decision of where your treasure is. And so Calvin says, Christ lays down the principle that wherever men imagine their their greatest happiness to be, there they are surrounded and confined. They're confined to that. And hence it follows that those who desire to be happy into the world renounce heaven. It's an interesting aspect of it. Those who decide that they want to be that the happiness, their treasure, lies in this world, they renounce heaven. We we use that word sometimes. Very spiritual people. They are renunciates. That means that they have renounced this world in order that they might seek another one. But Calvin reminds us that worldly people, whether they realize it or not, are actually renouncing heaven. To choose one is certainly to renounce the other. You make your decision. And they have decided that their treasure is here on earth, and so they set their hearts firmly on these things. And in so doing, whether they realize it or not, they renounce heaven. It's where your heart directs, the rest of you follows. The place and the things upon which you believe your true happiness lies, everything else goes along. You know, a good teacher... Certainly a good parent will say, give me your heart. That's what they want. They don't just want to convey information. They just don't want a certain performance for some portion of the day. They want the heart. Because they know that the superficial things and the regulations, they fall away eventually. The crucial thing is the heart. And our minds and our mouths and our bodies are simply going to follow along where the heart is. Where the will, the heart carries them. And so it is the most important thing, the most important decision that we ever make is to decide where our treasure is. Is it on earth or is it in heaven? That's the fundamental thing. You can argue some other time, what part of earth, what element of earth, what, what sort of, is it career, is it money, what, what is it? Is it even family? I don't know. You can, we can talk about those details some other time. The question is, is it on earth or is it in heaven? That's the fundamental thing. Because you'll end up getting what you want. Jesus says in Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It's an amazingly generous statement. He says, look, if you want heaven, you're going to get it. Seek and you will find. If that's what you want, if your treasure is in heaven, if you decided that's where your happiness is, you will get it. But you know what else? If you decide your, your happiness and treasure is on, on earth, you'll probably get that too to some extent. Satan's a liar, of course. He doesn't give us the truth like, like God. He always over-promises and under-delivers. And it won't be anywhere near as good as we think, but we'll get something of what we want in this fleeting earth That itself is destined for destruction. Now, what does Jesus have in mind when he speaks of treasure in heaven? If if that's true, that that when our heart, where our heart is, that's where the rest of us is going to go. Then, what does he have in mind when he speaks of treasure in heaven? Well, as we move to our second point, the main treasure is Christ Himself. And it helps us to understand in verse 33 sell what you have and give alms, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And you, you might have the mistake of saying, well, it's just a simple matter. Sell what you have, God gives you heaven in exchange. It's, it's you buy it, in essence. It's like, so, Or maybe just like some weapons buyback program that they, we used to run in, in a place like Somalia, where if people have, have military weapons, they come and they, they exchange money or other, other sorts of things for it. But that's not at all what is being said. It, it's, it's not that. It's, it's actually just a restatement of what was said back in Luke 9. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Got it? If you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever is willing to let go of their life in this world will actually find it in the next but whoever clings to their life in this world, you will not be able to let go of it. You will not be able to cling to Christ in faith. And you will not receive heaven. That's the idea. You can't latch on to Christ in faith if you're latching on to the things in this world. To the treasure that you have here. And, and so all he's saying then is when we're willing to let go of those things in all the many ways that we can let go of them. And giving to the poor is just one manifestation of that. Once we're willing to let go of things in this world, that means that we are able to receive Christ in faith and to follow him then, to be with him. Because he says, by the way, where if you wherever wherever my I am, you know, there my servant is as well. And and if Christ is in heaven, then we'll certainly be with him. If we have put our faith in him, if we've entrusted ourselves to him, and we'll certainly be with him. But to do that, we must let go of our situation in the world. And that's the way we understand. What's, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll eventually come to Luke 18, and Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler, and some people c- can't understand this. They get confused. They think there's some other gospel for rich people. It says in Luke 18, 25, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said to him, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? You see, the the point is not at all that if he were willing to sell these things, Jesus would say, You have now earned heaven. It's rather he was so attached to these things that he's unwilling to follow Christ. He's unwilling to put his faith in, in Christ and therefore he doesn't have it. He doesn't have Christ. And, and Jesus is simply pointing out the basic fact that the more that you're invested into this world, the less willing you are to let go of it. That's the problem. That's why it's hard then for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Giving away your things will not earn you heaven. Heaven. But holding on to your life in this world will certainly keep you from heaven. That's the idea. Now, so the 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 idea then, okay, so uh, we understand that giving away our things is not going to merit us heaven. So what does it mean then when it says that if you do let go of these things, you will have treasure in heaven? Well, the Bible gives us an illustration of that in, in Hebrews 11. Speaking of Moses, this is the famous hall of fame of faith and the example of Moses by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in heaven and, and, and treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And again all that is being said is that if well let's ask the question, what if Moses Had been so concerned to preserve his situation in Egypt. He was, after all, the daughter of Pharaoh. You can't get any higher than that. He was at the absolute top of that society, and what if he said, I have got too much to lose here. I do not want to become involved or identified with the people of God? He would not have endangered it to champion that Hebrew man, certainly not to become the advocate of the whole people to bring them out of Egypt. And he would not have been saved, you see. He would have held on to his good situation in Egypt, but he would have forfeited his good situation in eternity. And the point is this. You cannot have both of those things. You have to pick which one you will set your affection on and which one ultimately you will receive. You can't have them both. And here's the thing. though Hebrews only speaks of, of... well, as, as Exodus is speaking particularly of, of Moses coming out of Egypt, out there into the wilderness, for instance. He never did enter into the promised land. What he said was this, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. You see that? Because actually what Moses had put his heart on, ultimately, was Christ himself. And that's the, the riches, I think, that we're speaking of in heaven. Now, what is greater anyways the the as we think of, of what possible riches we're talking about in heaven what what is it, what is greater a a, a, a a simple place to live or the one who built the house of the the physical location of this mansion in heaven or is it the one who built this place that we might live with him is it merely the streets of gold or is it the one who is giving us a glorious situation and context that we might be with him forever in his joy. Of course, it's, 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 the, it's the latter. It's Christ himself is, is the greatest of treasures. He himself is the, the, the prince of, of heaven. He himself is the source of all joy. It only makes sense that if there is joy to be found, if there is delight, if there is happiness, it's got to be found in the presence of the king of glory, in the presence of the source of all joy. And so we need to make the, the decision that, that Moses did, that we want this riches, the ultimate riches, that is to be found in Christ alone. That's the reward that is in heaven. By the way, we get everything else when we get Christ. If we say that, that, that Christ is our portion, Christ is what we want, he says, by the way, I'm going to give you everything else as well. Christ is the center of it. But thirdly, There are also rewards in heaven," says in verse thirty-three. "Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens which does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys." As I say, mainly that refers to Christ. He's the center. There's no greater treasure than we could possibly have, and everything relates to that. There's no greater thing we could have than to have a relationship with the source of all joy and delight. But there is a secondary sense in which it refers to specific rewards for us in heaven. That's what was said in Luke 6. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And you say, why? Why would you possibly rejoice in the day in which people hate you, in which they exclude you, in which they cast out your name as being evil? Why? Why? Because it's for the Son of Man's sake. indeed, your reward is great in heaven, for in a like manner their father did to the prophets. And the question is, what did they do to the prophets? They persecuted the prophets. They, they put the prophets in prison. and some of those prophets they stoned, and others they saw they, they, they cut in half and killed in various ways. We know that the reward for those who suffer reproach for Christ are especially honored in heaven. It is the supreme honor, actually, to have suffered for Christ in this world. And you, you are accorded a particular honor in heaven for so doing. Now, that principle, now as Edwards would quickly point out to us, so you can have honor in this world or you can have honor in heaven. And you can do various things that will get you honors in this world, but how long does that last you? At most, say, 100 years. Now, what if you're actually willing to stand up and be counted with God's people and therefore to suffer reproach, maybe even to suffer physically? What's going to happen in heaven? Well, Christ is going to honor us, you see. Because he's not less than some human, some earthly monarch who surely honors those who suffer. We, we give medals to those who, who are willing to suffer in wartime for their country. And our sovereign is not wrong for doing that. That's very much a good thing to be honored for. Is Christ less than that? Certainly not. And so we know that he honors those who are worthy of honor in eternity. Now, that principle, by the way, goes for many other things. It's not just for suffering for his name. We know that the principle taught in 1 Corinthians 3, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. Okay, so that's the idea. So now we, we do things for Christ, we do things as Christians, and some of those things are actually gold and silver. It's based on the foundation of Christ. It's done for the glory of God. And those things will remain with us in eternity. We'll have honor and glory for those things. But if anyone's work is burned, meaning if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's, it's based on vain glory, It's based on the rudiments of this world. All the rest of these things are going to be burned up. But the good things remain. The rewards of things done in Christ remain forever. And so what I'm saying is that the world is not better than Jesus Christ. It profits us in this world to serve them. It profits us to serve worldly interests. But let me say it will profit us to serve Christ as well. In every way that we serve Him in sincerity, in every way that we seek, sacrificially even, wholeheartedly, mainly wholeheartedly, with the desire to glorify God, not one of those things, not even giving a cold a glass of cold water to one of His people will ever be forgotten in eternity. And, and will the, the Lord, will the reward be adequate? We're just going over in our, at uh, NCS, we're trying to figure out a better reward system and we were wondering, you know, how, how best to, to, to uh, lay these things out. And, and I, I think that the Lord, you see, as we were bracking our brains how best to, to reward the things that the children, did. do you think that the Lord in all of his perfect wisdom knows the best and most appropriate and, and most uh, and perfect way to do this? I think he does. And I think that we will not be sad that we have expended ourselves, that we have served and we have given ourselves over to Christ and his interest in this world. I think we'll be very thankful for that in eternity. Well, again, going back to the principle, in the title of the sermon, Laying Up Treasures in Heaven, we're reminded that there is this connection between where our heart is and where our treasure is. And so the first principle, the first application, rather, that I'd say for us is that we ought to set our affection on heaven. And fundamentally, that means that we've got to treasure God. God has got to to have the place in our hearts that he really has, that he really is. There's nothing greater, nothing better, more important than God. And we need to treasure him. We need to trust him. We need to set our hope on him and nothing else. That's, That's what it says in Psalm 78, 5. God has appointed a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel, which he commanded his fathers that they should make known to their children that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. As a summary of so all of the, the law of God and all the testimony, the word that was given to them, that they should set their hope in God. And that's what the Lord says to us. We should set our hope in him. And we should set our hearts where Christ is, which is in heaven. Colossians 3.1, Then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Christ is not here. He is risen. And if Christ is risen, where is he? He is in heaven. And if if our ambition and our desire and our treasure is Christ himself, then that's where our heart is. That's where naturally our thoughts and our affections will lead. We think about him. We meditate upon him. We desire him. We set our affection on heaven. That's the fundamental thing. We've got to set our our affection in heaven. Secondly, let me say, let me declare the gospel. Because some of you may say, I do want that. You're right. You've made your point. I I understand that I can work my entire life to have a better situation in this world, and it will not profit me in the end. All these things are going to be burned up in the end. I'm not going to take them with me to heaven, to eternity, rather. And we know, of course, unfortunately, for those who are outside of Christ as, as sinners, what, what awaits you? Well, let me say, th- then if you're, you're wondering then how that's going to happen, let me try to explain the gospel to you. I actually had the, the great opportunity yesterday to, to ask the question to someone uh, on the train, what is the Christian gospel? And this is a man who had a, a degree in philosophy from a British university. And he said, his answer was, I think it has something to do with the Ten Commandments. And the question, of course, being what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, you know, the gospel does have something to do with the Ten Commandments because the starting point of the good news is the bad news. The starting point of the good news, which is the gospel, is the bad news that we've not kept the Ten Commandments. We've not even kept any part of it. We've failed to keep the gospel or the, 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 the law of God. Uh, Let me just take one commandment as an example, the very first commandment, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So that means that the one true and living God has his exclusive claim to be God. He he asserts that claim to be God over everyone. His, His exclusive right to be your God and no other God. And that means that if you've not worshipped this God with all of your heart and all of your mind, all the days of your life, then that means you are breaking the first commandment. And you, you understand that these commandments are in order of importance. And so the last one is thou shalt not covet. The one before that is thou shalt not lie. So these things relative to the big picture are a little bit less important. Not that we at all despise them than what comes earlier. Because what comes earlier than that is adultery. What comes earlier than that is murder. But what comes even before that is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And as I spoke to this agnostic, this atheist, he didn't know exactly which one he was, he said he was a morally good person and hadn't really done anything bad. I had the task to explain to him that you have actually broken the most important commandment. What do you do then if you have broken this commandment? What do you do if you've broken some of those other commandments, all ten of them maybe? Well, God would be very just to let us all perish, both to subject us to the problems of this life, but mainly to the wrath of God in eternity. Yes, hell is real. Hell is very real. It's the reality which should loom the largest for every person that is outside of Christ. That should be this thing that is ever before you. Every day you should wake up and remind yourself, hell is real and that's where I'm headed. Hell is real and that is where I am headed as a sinner, as one who have not put my faith in Christ, have not obeyed this law of God, that is where I am headed But the world and all of its deceptions will tell you the exact opposite. They say, don't think about hell. Don't think about death. Don't think about where you're going. Please think of something else because I do not want you to think about that. And your whole world, your whole life is covered with things to distract you from the most important of what will happen when you die. For one brief moment, the Lord speaks the truth to you. And says, You're a sinner. You will die, and after that there is a judgment, and you'll spend eternity in hell. God would be just to leave you there. But in his goodness and mercy, he gives you the good news of the gospel. That for reasons which are still extremely hard for me to comprehend, He was willing to send his son to suffer the punishment that would have happened to his people, would have happened to his sheep in hell. He suffered that on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. And the good news for you is that you can receive forgiveness from your sin. You can receive heaven. You can receive Christ and all of his good things merely for the asking, merely for the reception of this gift. By putting your faith in Christ. It's so unbelievable. It's hard even for me to state it. As I stumbled over trying to explain this yesterday. It's such fantastically good news. That so far from having to earn your way to heaven. God has said you can't do it. And in my compassion I will make a way for you. All you have to do is receive it as a gift. Put your faith in Christ. And you will be saved. That is the gospel. If you want that heaven, if you say, Yes, I want heaven, that's where my treasure is. I want Christ. Put your faith in Him and you'll be saved. Thirdly and finally, of our applications, my advice, my application to the Christians is that we ought to be heavenly minded, we ought to cultivate a heavenly mindedness. And as we've said, I think this is one of our problems, unfortunately. And even one sermon last, last time wasn't enough to cure us of our worldliness. And God in his goodness gives us more word, more reminders of these things. How do we cultivate heavenly mindedness? So many ways, so many ways. But one thing certainly comes to mind, which is to be generous. You know, I, I've said that we don't earn heaven by giving things away. That's not the point. But Jesus says that the one who is able to do this is heavenly minded, you see? Because if you are so concerned that every element of your happiness resides in this world, then how likely are you to part with any any of it? And I mean your time as well as your money? Because we know that time is money. We know that your time can make yourself a better situation in various worlds. You can advance yourself by focusing all your time on yourself. In this world, and likewise all of your resources. But I think the Word of God tells us that we ought to be generous, and one of the ways we wean ourselves from that greed and worldliness and self-centeredness is to be able to give things away. You know, David said in First Chronicles twenty-nine, three. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared. For the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. He goes on to explain just how much that is. He's given his own special treasure, the thing that he was maybe laying aside for himself or his son. And you say, Oh, no, David, you are taking away from the inheritance of your son. So Solomon was out on the street, huh? Funny enough, he was the richest man who ever lived. And, and that's the funny thing is that you're probably not even going to lose out much even in this world, even in material things, because the Lord seems to have a funny sense of humor about that. You're not even going to lose out, I don't think, but I can be certain, I can guarantee you're not going to lose out in the larger picture. And it is a characteristic of those who have been able to let go of this world, that they in various ways, in time, yes, as well as money, but in every other way, are generous-hearted. And so we we cultivate that heavenly-mindedness by generosity. But of course also, and maybe in in a more direct way, by thinking about heaven. It's a very simple thing. It's amazing. But people who have set their hearts on the things of this world think about them. Do you know that? It's true because we all have been there. We know that we meditate on them. We think about them. We go go to sleep thinking about them. We wake up thinking about them. So it is for the heavenly minded. These things are ever before. They're researching these things. The heavenly minded are. They're researching these things. Looking into them. They want to know more of the details. They want to know more about it. And it's no problem for them to give their, not only their, their spare time. But it's all they can do to resist giving of their, their, their most vital working hours. To thinking about these things. Indeed, we know that when times of revival comes, the word of exhortation that has to come from the pulpit is not, not being, being heavenly minded, but please stop neglecting all of the things that you're supposed to be doing in this world in order to do that. But that day hasn't come yet. That, that moment hasn't come for us yet, that we, we, I have to hold you back from, from neglecting your worldly interests. And for us, the exhortation remains that we should think about heaven. And mainly to be thinking about the one who is in heaven, the one who is our treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, you are very good. And out of your goodness, you have provided a way of escape even for the most guilty of sinners. Yes, even for the most blind of sinners who do not even realize the true depth of their sin. As they've sinned against you, not merely in very superficial and minor ways, but in the most crucial and essential way. if They have lived their lives as if there were no God. And far, far from serving and worshiping and loving the one true God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength every moment of every day. Lord, you and your goodness have sent Christ, your own beloved, only begotten Son, eternally begotten of the Father, to live in this cursed world and to die an agonizing death on the cross, not only what was endured physically, but what, enduring the wrath of God for sins that were not his own. Lord, we are thankful that in his death and resurrection there is hope and help. And so, Lord, how we pray that you'd enable everyone here to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, that they might fundamentally have their their affection, their heart set upon heaven. And that they would seek after these things because we know that those who seek find. And Lord, for your people, that we ourselves would Seek first the kingdom of God, that we would be heavenly minded, that our, where our treasure is, there our hearts would be, and that our treasure would truly be in heaven. Our treasure would be Christ himself. And yes, even the rewards that come as we serve you faithfully, as we self-consciously seek to glorify God in, in our vocations, as we're willing to suffer reproach for your name, we know, Lord, that not one of these things will ever be lost to us in heaven. They will certainly be a great source of joy and of honor in the world to come. And so, Heavenly Father, how we pray that you'd enable us to lay up treasures in heaven. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.